Welcome to Coached Soul, a podcast for a better you. Your host, Steve Hudgens, is a licensed professional counselor, and your co-host, Julia Canton, is a therapeutic coach. Together, they discuss various topics, providing a different perspective on life and insight that you are not alone. On a non-emergency basis, you may contact them at area code 918-280-8690 or coachsoul.com to provide them with new topics, feedback, or to request an appearance on the show. And now, here's your host, Steve Hudgens. Hey, welcome back to the show. I, I am so excited about a new book coming out. It's an anthology about my two cents of self-love. And it is important, uh, not only as a professional, to take time out for myself, but I recommend it to other people. So I have to practice what I preach. So with me is Christine Jones, and she is part of our co-authors in this book. And Christine, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to get on board with other authors to write Well, first of all, I want to thank you very much, Steve, for having me on your show. And um, the reason why I wanted to become part of this group is Nicole, who has done all of the publications um, for us and has done all the headshots and all the advertising. She came to me and she said, would you like to do this? And so my philosophy is yes. And so I couldn't pass up that opportunity. And she had really talked up Mr. Lee as... um, being a wonderful person to work with. And so I hopped on a call like right away, almost, I think it was the next day I said, yes. And I hopped on the call the next day and we, we talked and um, I was very impressed at how quickly she was able to get everything together. And we were able to submit things and then to be able to review it. And there's a lot of authors. So the whole process has been very impressive. This is my third book that I'll be in, and I'm excited. And I think this is one of my favorite books due to the topic of self-love and being a therapist and working in my doctorate's degree. um, Part of that is self-love for me, being able to increase my knowledge so that I can help the community to have a better healthy attitude or a mental attitude. You know, Christine, when we think about writing, it's a a release of energy of part of who we are as a person. What was it that attracted you? Have you written before? So I have. I'm. This will be my very first book, though, that I will have published. Um, but I am also going to be co-authoring another book, and hopefully that'll be coming out before school starts because I'm a teacher. And then I'm working on another book that hopefully will be coming out before school starts. And I'm doing a collaborative with another teacher. And it is going to be a book about um, partnering with parents to help them in the educational setting and what to look for and some how-tos. And then we started going, aha, we actually have a program. So we're going to turn that into a program and tie it in nicely and do some parent workshops in there and also sell some um, videos um, to, so parents could pu- purchase them and they could go through the modulars at their own pace. 
I hate to put a stigmatism here, but it just seems like you're out of the ordinary of a teacher that's really wanting to get parents involved. And being a teacher is difficult and it's mm -hmm. challenging because there's only one of you and there's about 700 kids and then you add their parents and it becomes overwhelming of a seabed of people coming at you and you're swimming among them. What was it that inspired you to become a teacher? So I really view, and I'm going to go back to what you said first about um, there is a lot that goes on, a lot of moving parts with with education. But I found that when we can work with parents, so if I make a phone call to a parent, it is not to complain. I tell them right up front, it's to brainstorm ideas on how to help their child. Because my first job is going to be to help that student. And obviously the parent wants to help that student. So what can we do to give that student the best possible chance to succeed? We do that in a partnership. So I do a home to school connection is that's what I do. So that way I can, um, make sure that my students are learning skills that will not only take them in kindergarten, but will then pivot them and they'll be able to use all the way through high school. So I have students that I've taught a long time ago, they're still utilizing these skills. So now going back to your question, um, what got me into teaching in the very first place? So I, when I was little, I used to teach my sister. So I would come home from kindergarten and then I would sit her down at the, I had a dry erase board and sit down and teach her how to cut. And I would write things on the board and she would do everything that I did for that day. And then I started to, I was sixth grade. I would volunteer in a kindergarten classroom and I loved doing that. And we would take up our recess so we could go and volunteer and then I started to help other people like in, in high school and, and that kind of thing. So I think it just came by pretty naturally, I think. You know, it's funny because I am so glad that I didn't turn out to be a bartender or something because my sister was always wanting to do tea parties. Oh, yeah. I just, <laughs> you know, there's a big difference between school and teacher now when she was. Uh, it's funny because. As she became older, she had a little brother. And uh -huh. what does she do? What it is about natural teaching? I don't know. <laughs> you know, she went to college, graduated. I'm really proud of her. Uh, some things didn't happen the way they should have in the medical field. So she got her teacher certificate from Texas. And now uh -huh. she's teaching and she's working for me part time and helping with my billing process. So I'm really proud of her and the leadership role that she took on. Oh, and yeah. it's just interesting how you develop into this role of being a teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to do tea parties for my sister and I'd get everything <laughs> all set up for her and she would go and play in the area. She was younger than I was and I loved to set it up and set the environment up and, you know, kind of do those do those types of things. It was fun. What were some things that as you were growing up that did any of it seep out into this book of my two cents of self-love, your chapter, by the way, what is your chapter called? My sweet struggle. Okay. So what, 
describe a little bit without giving us a little bit of hint of the entire chapter. Okay. Give us some bits and pieces to, to wet our taste of what this chapter is going to be like. So I guess the the main gist of it is that um, when I was taking a look at self-love, I thought I had it. And I thought mm. I had strong self-love. But what happened is I was looking at my achievements. Um, I could check things off and I could say, I did this, I did that, I did this. So if those things were not existent, then I noticed that my self-love, it, it took a nose. I just wasn't on a solid ground. So when I took a look at intrinsically and changed, changed my self-love to something that wasn't, I didn't need the validations, that's when my self-love grew and it grew stronger. Um, that's, that's what I had, had noticed. So I, my rockiest periods were during like high school. Well, in high school, you think about it, you want to be popular, you want to fit in and all of that's extrinsic. It's nothing, at least for me, it wasn't intrinsic. So I actually didn't really enjoy my high school as much as I should have. Um, and I'm going to go back just a smidge because I also moved. I moved in eighth grade, middle of eighth grade. So picture this, you are in Ohio, you're out in the country, you are wearing tight jeans and the type that you have to like lay on the bed and zip them up and then suck it in really good. And if you can't do that, then they were too loose. And I was wearing like bright colored shirts that were, you know, like silky. Walk in, went into Connecticut. So they have a, they talk different and they have a lot of them have like Boston accent and quarter. I would, and they talk really fast. So then I was like, wait, what did they say? So just like that, they were talking really fast and using different vocabulary. And then they were wearing cotton, cotton clothes. So I really felt like I did not fit in. So I went from being very popular and I was on the student council and very, you know, very active and um, really heading in a, you know, pretty good direction. And then I was like a fish out of water. It was it was very, very challenging. I can get it. And the reason why I get it, because my father was in the Air Force. He spent okay. 26 years and uh, I never said I would go in the military, but I did so that I can get my college loans paid back. But to move is mm -hmm. a big, huge thing. And mm -hmm. it I was used to it. We went from hell hot San Antonio, Texas, to hell freezes over Rapid oh, City, South Dakota. Talk oh, about wow. an extreme. Oh, that yeah. That was extreme. Then when we moved to Japan, and I lived there my freshman, sophomore, junior year, like you, very popular and things like that. I had one credit. So Department of Defense schools are totally different from the civilian schools. They're very mm -hmm. impactful. Uh, they help students become very um, academic. Mm -hmm. And so my dad comes and says, hey, I've got an assignment to go to Oklahoma. Never been there. And he's like, do you want to stay here? and finish out your school, or do you want to go back to the States? Mm -hmm. And that was a huge um, experience for me because that was my senior year. Okay. 
my high school said, I can't just take one class. I had to do three. And I'm like, ah, okay. So we, we, we went ahead and moved to Oklahoma and that's where I did a half a day of school, but trying to make friends and fit in, it makes it difficult. Do you think mm-hmm. with the moves uh, that you've encountered, what made it tough just to all of a sudden you get this rejection, you're not popular anymore? What happened to maybe your self-love? Well, and that's what that's why I was writing this chapter too, was was about that because it was extrinsic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think that it's, you feel inflated kind of, I guess you would say, and then you, all of a sudden you just take a nosedive. And so then when you take a nosedive, who are you going to be attracting? I'm not saying that I attracted necessarily the wrong people, but you're, you're going to be attracting people that are probably the same kind of, you know what I mean? Kind of feeling yeah. like inflated and that's what you're going to be attracting. And so, um, I, I would just say that high school, it was, it was just, it was challenging. I ended up with a good group of people. Um, and it was kind of funny because we had all aspired to be like in other areas. <laughs> so you end up finding, you know, kind of your, your people, I ended up moving away and going to a, a school that was not in the area. I wanted to go back to the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Midwest, I just found was um, very, very friendly. Went to a a nice school. So, you know, you think about the challenges as a teenager, and what we go through because we're trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. We're too old to play with Barbies and cars, but we're too young to get out and drive and do adult things. So it's a very mm-hmm. taxing time period. Mm-hmm. When you think about your chapter and what you wrote, what would be something that you would go back and tell your younger self about life? Um, I would tell my younger self to start within mm. first and work on your thoughts so because your thoughts create your reality. So I remember sitting in the psychologist office because I was working on trying to make sure that I could be independent enough to move out, working on my self-esteem. I could write down a bunch of things that um, I needed to work on. I need to work on this and this. Do a replacement sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm, I, it was challenging. It was challenging me for me to find the positive. Mm-hmm. So, so what I, what I do now is I'm constantly checking my mind, my state of mind. So if there's any negative coming in, I correct it right away. So in allowing myself grace for mistakes, because everybody's going to make them. So that's what I would tell my younger self. You're going to be making a lot of mistakes. Allow yourself grace and just dig down deep and, and go after whatever you want to go after. You know, it's challenging because I, I worked with teenagers and adolescents when I was an inpatient hospital. I became the director and working with even challenging kids that were in state custody. And it is difficult to try to help people, even the adult stage, 
of they're focusing on the negative. Mm-hmm. But I like what you had to say is immediately defeating the the negative thought. And it is important. So there's a book called Rewire Your Brain. And I love it because it challenges you how to think differently. Mm-hmm. When you think about what you wrote and you said you were very popular and then you go to this new school and things change for you, your thought process has changed. Yes. And as they changed, how did you feel about yourself? So the other thing that happened, because um, I moved to Connecticut, the schools that I moved to were excellent schools, excellent school district. So not only did I struggle in that area, but academically, I was like, holy cow, like it, it was like uh, probably maybe like a freshman class. Um, so the rigor was definitely a lot more than what I was used to. So that, you know, that was, that was hard in itself as well. I don't know if I answered your question. (laughs) Well, did you have like a mentor or anybody in your life that tried to help pull you out of just these changes that you were experiencing at the time? That's a good question. Um, I think during this time I relied on um, my friends Mm-hmm. And probably like my sisters and my brother just to try to navigate some of that since we all had, you know, similar experiences. Now, we didn't, even though we all had similar experiences moving, we didn't all have similar experiences with with making friends and that kind of thing. But I think, honestly, I had the hardest time out of the siblings moving. I remember I was crying all the time because I didn't want to move, but um, I come from a a blended family. So they had lived in one place Mm -hmm. and we ended up moving in with them. Well, when I was nine, I moved into their house and then from their house, we moved to Ohio. And then from Ohio, we moved to Connecticut. So for me, I had moved more than what they did. They moved from their old house then to Ohio and then to Connecticut. So it just seemed like it was, I was just getting uprooted a whole, a whole lot. So even emotionally, you were kind of uprooted from what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. And this move impacted you with moving into a family. And it's like it's the unknown. Yeah. So as you are dealing with this as a kid, what were you hoping to, what were your dreams and aspirations going forward for you in this time frame? So my dreams and aspirations. So I had my eye on college. Okay. And so to get into a good college, I knew that I needed to get good grades. So again, external, right? So looking external (laughs) things and then what kind of activities. So again, external, I know I needed to get into some activities and be more involved because I needed to put things again on my resume. So I'm looking at very external things so I can get to get some results. Um, I was very active in my church and um, I was uh, the vice president of of the organization for the children, for our youth group. 
So we did a lot of philanthropic types of things. We helped out um, the some children that um, needed some extra support and some extra guidance. And so we would go in um, into um, Hartford and we would help out and do that. We would take them to music parks. And so we would collect money. We would do fundraisers for them. And then we did a Halloween party. So I was organizing um like 50 children coming through. And for my age, I was a teenager and we had to organize all of the stations and get everything ready to go. So I think that helped me and with my teaching as well. That's interesting. You you take this path and this journey and part of self-care and self-love, as we're talking about my two cents of self-love, is college. You took mm-hmm. a moment to realize if I need to improve who I am, mm-hmm. and you took that advantage. Mm-hmm. And now your friends are shifting from high school to college. And what did you find interesting in college that helped you to look at this is the path that I need to take? So in college, um, Oh, goodness. I would say I was elated to go off to college. I was like, yes, freedom. And <laughs> I I embraced it like full force. And so I remember I got some cookies and I was like, gosh, I cannot eat all of these cookies. So I remember taking the cookie tin and then taking it out and sharing it with just like anybody that like was walking by on the street. Well, it was a great way to meet people. You know, mm-hmm. you're giving away cookies. And so I met some people moving in. And, um, then I started to get just like I was doing in high school, I started to get involved, more involved with different things. I joined a sorority and we did the philanthropic aid to the blind. Cause I was a Delta gamma and mm. in, in my sorority. And i liked that sorority specifically because it focused in on grades. So I liked it because when it focused in on grades, it was going to lift me up. And I could also lift up other people because we were also, you know, philanthropic in nature. Um, and so that was an extra plus. I got a phone call. My mom said, you're going to need to pick another college because we can't afford it. So I was oh, very no. blessed and I know I'm blessed. And she and I said, no, I'm not going to pick another college. She's like, well, you better hurry up and pick another college. I said, no, mom, I'm going to be an RA. And my mom, because I would get free room and board. And so right. I'd just be paying for my books and they could do that. So I said, no, mom, I'm going to get that. She was like, she kept on telling me, have you done it? Have you done it? I said, no, I am not doing that. I am becoming an RA. So I became an RA because I said I was going to do it. But how I did it is I interviewed other RAs. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I knew the types of questions that they were going to ask, what I needed to do, and how I needed to pre- present myself. I was like, well, this is a no-brainer because I would already do those things anyway, so I wasn't acting. Um, and then the tricky part is my college roommate, she was like, yeah, I'm going to be an RA too. I was like, oh, no, because I knew she was going to get it. <laughs> I was right? like, oh, how many spots are there? <laughs> I'm going to be like going down a spot and she really didn't need it. And I honestly needed it to stay there. So um, we both ended up getting the RA position. So I ended up rooming with my roommate all the way through um, until we both became RAs. And I just had was just very blessed. And I got to see her over my spring break. So 
you've stayed in contact. So that's yeah. an amazing story. And and one of the things I want to point out to our listeners is the fact that, you know, Christine, you took the time to have healthy boundaries. As tough as that is to tell your mom, no, <laughs> uh, it, you, you, you had a boundary, you had a dream and you stuck to it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you put these things into place and you go from this worst thought of she's going to get it before because she's <laughs> yes. better than me. And then you turn around and you both get it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do they have more than one spot? I'm assuming they had more than one spot of as, a, as an RA. Oh, the spots were limited though, because, you know, you would think about like an RA, they don't really turn over. You know, so the only spots that would become available would be spots that um, somebody was, you know, leaving. So it happened mid-year. So it didn't happen. Both of us got a spot mid-year. So for that to happen, that meant that people must have, you know, had to go over in their hours or whatever. So so I was very, I was lucky, but I also planned for it and I also manifested it and I didn't really think about it back then, but manifesting in your state of mind is huge. So that also helps a lot. You know, that is a great segue into our next podcast about manifestations, you know, looking at how did this writing develop So to our audience, we appreciate Christine being with us. There is a part two, because I think it's very important for us to learn from one another and to look at the steps that Christine took into place to help her to be where she's at today. And it's very important that we take the time out to learn how to have a sense of self-love, even when the dynamics of life hit us. It's how do we approach it? And so until next time, take care. Thanks for joining us today. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, be safe and be kind.